I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is Jacqueline Hurst, who is one of the UK's leading life coaches, a best-selling international author, GQ Magazine's resident coach and columnist, teacher and speaker. As a life coach, Jacqueline has over two decades of experience working with over 7,000 clients worldwide to help them be, feel, perform and live better. Jacqueline, how are you doing? Welcome to Give Me Strength. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Alice. You know what I was thinking this morning was like, I remember that we met each other quite a long time ago when you were just doing, you know, your exercise stuff. And I think you were still on the stage back then as well. And yeah. I was just thinking about how far you've come and how amazing it is. And this getting, you know, the whole thing is like, sometimes I think we don't just sort of stop for a second and look back. I think people like you and I, we always are like going forward, going forward, going forward. And so I've just wanted to say to you from this side of the fence, like you're doing amazing and well done. And it's just inspiring to watch you. That is really kind. And I feel totally the same about you. Yeah, it was. It was a long time ago. feels like another yeah. lifetime ago. And I do think you're right. You know, like I'm... I, you know this about me, but I'm so hard on myself. I never think I'm doing enough. I always think I'm falling behind. Like that my inner critic is strong and we can come on to that. But I think that the first place that I really wanted us to start today, and I guess um, I think it would be helpful for those listening just to clarify, I guess, what a life coach is. I know that for some people, it can be quite a vague term and they're not quite sure what a life coach actually does. Um, so could you possibly just for me explain what it is that you do and what the role of a life coach is? It's a really good question because, you know, life coaching now is quite a well, it's quite a well-known sort of title, but a lot of people still say like, well, what actually do you do? I've been doing this for a really long time. And I remember when I started about, God, 15 years ago or something now, maybe 17 years ago, I said, yeah, I'm a life coach. And people were like, well, we don't need a nurse. And I was like, I'm not a nurse. <laughs> I mean, like, so life coaching is, my life coaching is very much about teaching people how to use their brain, which sounds very simple. But at school, we're not taught about how we think and how to manage our feelings. We're taught maths and we're taught science and we're taught geography, but no one ever says to us, listen, if you manage your mind in this way, you're going to feel this way. And if you don't manage your mind in that way, then you're going to feel that way. And, you know, this is how important it is to learn how to use your, your mind correctly. So I teach people tools of how to learn to think correctly. You manage your mind correctly and then you manage your life correctly. So that's what I do. And I work with people from all different things. People come and see me with like, it can be anxiety. It can be confusion. It can be, I'm stuck. It can be, I hate my body. It can be, I hate my husband. It can be like a million different things. I don't know what job to do or I da, da, da. And what I'll do is I'll work with people. You know, we've all got our own unique ways of understanding things, but I will work with people in a way to teach them about how their thoughts and beliefs are basically controlling their life um, and, and teaching people how to reframe things. So for me, it's not just, I, I always say this, it's not just like positive thinking because that that never worked for me of like, oh, I'll just think that if I didn't actually believe it. So it's teaching people how to get to the point of learning how to believe new thoughts in order to put those into practice instead. I love that. And I think, you know, what's really 
important is is learning to kind of harness our thoughts and and you know we st- I've spoken a lot on this podcast actually about like not accepting thoughts as facts and I know that some of the work that you do is like learning to kind of read the thoughts but also to be able to challenge our own internal dialogue and I find that a really interesting concept that I think I found really helpful and I'm definitely going to come on to that because I think it's a really important thing to cover but I guess first of all you know we've gone back we've talked about what a life coach is so my second question is really about how you got into it yourself. I know that everyone comes to things with a journey, with a purpose. My entrance into the fitness world was very much through, you know, personal experiences and particularly where I find myself now is all through everything that I've gone through and what I've learned along the way. So I'm really interested to know at what point you decided that life coaching was for you, that this was this, this career was, was what you had, you know, within you to do. And I guess how you then carved the path of, of the success that you now have today. I think for me, it was a really, it was a spiritual experience. Um, I had got into all the wrong places and, and things when I was a kid. So from the age of sort of 15 to 25, I was using class A drugs. I was into alcohol. I was anorexic about five times. I was suffering with anxiety and depression and any form of addiction that could take me away from myself. And I started that at 15 and then I got clean and sober at 25. So I had 10 years of absolute madness. At 25, um, when I got clean and sober and decided to like, you know, sort of fix anorexia and recover from it completely I really had a lot of work to do and I found that uh, I was in therapy and I sort of started to understand sort of why I was doing what I was doing but I didn't I couldn't find anyone that could help me make the actual changes in my mind so uh, you know I felt like I was sort of running rings around people because I'd experienced things so many things to such extremes. So I thought to myself, the best way to deal with this is to is for me to get myself better. And what that entailed was a lot of studying and learning and understanding all different practices um, and all different things. I studied, you know, things from neuro-linguistic programming to hypnotherapy to forms of cognitive behavioral therapy to mindset management. Like I just was willing to do whatever it would take to help me find peace. And, you know, I took that journey and I I basically haven't stopped. So um, I wouldn't say like, yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a life coach, but there was a certain time after going through my own work that I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Like it was an intuitive thing where I realized, my gosh, I've been through all of this, like for a reason. And this reason is to give back and to help other people. And it was, you know, I want to say it was kind of like a light bulb moment Um, But it had been, you know, a very sort of high ladder to climb to get there. But once I knew that was, you know, the reason I had been through all of this stuff, I didn't look back. And, you know, I started my business a really long time ago at a time where people weren't talking about mental health, didn't understand mental health. I was really going against the grain. But because I had so much passion in it and so much belief in it, and I knew that this was, I knew that I could help. I started my business and I was willing to do whatever it took. I mean, I was standing outside fitness first gyms at like five o'clock in the morning, handing out flyers. And I always say to people, I got more dates than I did get clients, but it was a good way to start of like whatever it took to build my business, I was going to do. So it's very different today, I think, if you're building a business. But back then, you know, that was that was the beginning way of getting things done. And, and it, you know, people around me said to me, what are you doing? You know, no one needs a life coach. Like people really poo-pooed what I was doing, but that never stopped me. It never has. And it, you know, it never did then. And it hasn't ever since because that's their own fears projected on me, which had nothing to do with me. 
And then about six months into you know, the business, which was starting to do really well. I had a call from a journalist at the Sunday Times Style magazine. And she said, we're doing this, um, we're doing this whole kind of article on women that have gone from like, you know, complete party girls to spiritual sort of healers. And we'd like to interview you. And I just remember at that point thinking, okay, this really solidifies that I knew I was doing the right thing, that people were starting to become interested in getting help in different ways. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. I look back and it feels like a lifetime ago even talking about it. It's really weird. Almost like two lives. I feel like that with mine though. I feel like I've had two separate like periods Mm -hmm. of my life that feel so in opposition of each other. Talk to me about getting clean. This is such a a huge thing, right? Like I, I didn't actually know that about you, that you had those issues. And I'm really interested by this, you know, in a way kind of glazing over the fact that like you had a light bulb moment where you just went not anymore. And I think that for a lot of people, addiction can manifest itself in many different ways. Look, I I have spoken to so many people. I know so many people who have various different addictions and it can often feel like, you know, like Everest trying to um, overcome the pull of addiction. So I just, I guess it would be really helpful. Um, and maybe you've reflected on this since, you know, to understand what that moment was for you. Did you hit ro- a rock bottom? Was it a kind of, this is it, I have to give it up? Or or was it just recognizing that there was a better life out there to be lived? It was both. And I think that addiction can be so different for everybody. Um, so I could talk about my addiction, which, you know, other people may have a different experience. But for me, for sure, I was living in a squat's Um, I had nothing, I had no money. Um, I was really like on the floor with nothing. And um, I just had this moment of like, you know, I tried suicide a few times and none of that worked. And I just got to this point where I thought, you know, even the drugs stopped working. And it was like, it's got to be better than this. Like, you know, my attempts never worked, right? Like the drugs are not working. Like there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else. It was a very dark, dark time in my life. And I'm 20 years clean now. And one of the things I will say is that, you know, first of all, how grateful I am and I understand and I'm aware that only 4% of people get clean and stay clean. But I am a big believer that if you do your work and you pull apart your ego and you do the steps and you go to recovery and you you do all of the things um, that help you understand yourself and understand why you were sort of running from yourself, that then you are 100% clear. So I'm a believer that, you know, one day at a time I've got to 20 years and I'm also very clear that a drug holds zero excitement for me today, like wouldn't touch it. You know, so you could say to me, I'll give you 20 million quid, I just wouldn't do it, it's just not there. There's no like, oh my God, I mustn't touch it and I'm really nervous and because I've worked on myself enough to know that that isn't the solution to any of my problems. So I do feel with addiction, if we are willing to do our work and the timing is right, that we can recover. You know, I'm not into the recovering addict, I'm into the recovered addict. Uh, and I feel the same about anorexia and bulimia and eating issues. Like. I know that we do live in a society that tells us that we're constantly recovering, but I am a believer that we can recover. We can recover. And that's important, you know, to share that message. 
two things that came up for me there and two sort of phrases that I really want to dive into are this idea of running away from yourself. Um, I really want to kind of pick into that because I think it's it's a concept that can, you know, step outside of addiction and is kind of more of a general thing that a lot of us end up doing. Losing this connection with our inner selves, running away from ourselves by filling time with, you know, whether it's being constantly busy or work or, uh, you know, just becoming very distracted from our I guess our inner self um, is probably the best way to describe it. Talk to me about that. What do you see as the concept of, you know, how one might run away from themselves? And I guess as an antidote to that, how one might find their way back. I think that, you know, running away from ourselves is a very common thing. And a lot of the time we're completely unconscious that we're even doing it. And especially in 2023, right? Like we are consistently bombarded with, you know, news, information, social media, you know, all of this stuff is coming at us all the time. So it's really easy to step away from ourselves, even just by flicking through Instagram for two hours, you know, or TikTok or whatever it is. Like we can all do that. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, whew, <laughs> now I just need to go to sleep and not think about things. And, you know, that might, that in and of itself might be someone's coping mechanism and they are, might not be ready to go in. And that might be an easier way for them to be living right and it only it's only really when one gets to a space and says you know i'm i'm unhappy and i need to do something about this that the work can really begin i feel like everyone in their own way has had a form of trauma and trauma is relative okay you know what your trauma could be completely different from someone else's trauma and that's why i bang on all the time about in quotes doing the work like you know if you're happy with how you're living then that's great if there's parts of your life where you know that you're disconnecting from yourself and you need to go back in towards yourself but you don't know how to, that's the perfect time to say, right, I've got to start looking at what is it that I'm running away from. And usually the thing that we're running away from, Alice, is, is a feeling, right? We actually are running away from feeling a feeling we don't want to feel. And when I learned that, I was like, oh, okay, hang on, that doesn't sound that bad, <laughs> right? Like, wait, is that all I'm really running away from? And it is. And so when we learn to manage how we feel and, and, and be aware of learning how to navigate our feelings, then we start to become much more willing to go in and look at our stuff. So yeah, there's, there's always work to be done. And I guess wrapped up in that is this idea that we live in a world where we're constantly, and I say we, I'm, I'm massively generalizing here, but a lot of us are seeking external validation. We want to project an image of ourselves. You know, we have this opportunity now to create a whole persona online, myself included, and I play into this narrative for sure, of which I definitely have to hold my hands up. But, you know, it's this idea that we can, um, you know, be who we want to be. And it's all about how we look and how we present ourselves. And, um, you know, tied up in that is, I guess, this idea that more and more we're seeking external validation for who we are and what we are. Um, and that, that I guess, takes us away from the ability to internally validate ourselves and to know that we're good enough. Um, and I think that, you know, in a world where social media drives so much of our interactions and so much of our thoughts and feelings, unfortunately, you know, that is the case. How do you help people to learn to disassociate themselves from, I guess, constantly needing external validation, constantly needing to be told they look great. Or, you know, I'll use an example, but you post an image of yourself and like, as much as I've done the work, I feel like I'm in a great place. I still want people to tell me I look great. You know, I'll be honest. Like, I, I think I'm um, one of the many, not one of the few when I say that, but 
it's learning to be able to to I guess develop that sense of self acceptance without needing others to tell us so. And and I and I would love your answer as to, <laughs> to how we get to a place where that becomes a little bit more normalized. I think you know, listen, and thank you for sharing that and being so honest about it and saying that that is how you you know that is how you think. Is like you still think that you need to have other people to tell you that you look good. And I think a lot of people do struggle with that, that the the outside validation is everything. And I always say that if we're building our life wanting anything sort of, you know, like validation to get that from outside of ourselves, that wasn't very good English. But if we're if our life is based on that of like outside validation, we're ultimately building our life on sand. And learning how to give ourselves that validation is building our house on cement and rock, right? Like it's not going anywhere. And the issue with trying to get validation from outside of ourselves is ultimately one day someone can give it to you and the next day they can take it away. And then where does that leave you emotionally? So you're really balancing your life on sort of, you know, a very scary, wobbly kind of place. Learning to validate yourself is one of the most important things you can do because in that way, it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Once you learn, you know what, I don't, it really doesn't matter what you think of me. What I think of me is way more important. And doing the work to get yourself to that place is the best possible thing you can do for yourself. What I know to be true is what you think about me, A, is none of my business and B, nothing I can control. So there will be some people that will be listening to this podcast and go, do you know what? I really love what she's saying. And there will be some people that are going, she's talking the biggest load of shit and I don't even like the sound of her voice and she's awful. And none of that's got anything to do with me. So depersonalizing that, you know, learning how to do that is really, really important for me. You know, I learned very early on about learning that, you know, I wasn't the most important thing in other people's lives. What other people thought of me wasn't anything to do with me. And that actually most people are too worried about themselves to be giving me any thought. And a lot of the time, you know, we also realize that everyone's coming from sort of their own map of the world, their own way they've been brought up, their own, you know, it's like beauty, which is why it always makes me laugh. It's like, who decides what's beautiful? Because what you think is beautiful, Alice, and what I think is beautiful could be completely different things. Yet we live in a society that says, no, 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 this is beauty. And when you really start to unpick the stuff, it becomes quite funny. It's like if I read Vogue, and I love Vogue magazine, but before I even pick it up, I will say to myself, you're about to pick up a magazine where you're probably going to be look at, looking at 15-year-olds that maybe haven't even had their period yet, that are probably six foot two because that's supposedly what they're meant to be um, and clothes fall better supposedly, supposedly uh, in that height. Um, everything's going to be airbrushed. It's all going to be about things that I need to buy. They're telling me, society's telling me, I need to buy that to be a better person, right? So once I've done all of that and I find that all quite humorous, then I can pick up Vogue and not think twice about it. So getting your brain really clear is really, really important with that. But validation you know, it, it can only ever truly come from yourself because anything outside of yourself doesn't really mean anything. That's such a powerful way to think about it. And I know that we've had a conversation about this before where you sort of really challenged me and you were like, what can you do about it? You know, what can you do about what other people think? And, you know, I have spent, and not to make this a personal therapy session, but I can't tell you the amount of time over the last 10 years that I've been online that I've spent trying to prove to people that I'm a likable person. You know, I might get a DM that's like a little bit nasty and I will go out of my way to spend loads of time 
time, you know, being like, oh, but I meant this and I'm really sorry. And I, you know, I hope I haven't offended you. And like, the amount of time I spend like trying to convince people that I am a likable person, it's exhausting. And unfortunately, like I do find that that is part of my makeup and I'm really trying my hardest to learn to undo that. But I think that there's, there's something within me and I know that there'll be people listening who probably have it within them as well that are inherent people pleasers and are desperate to be liked. And that is an exhausting um, pattern to be in if you, you know, and, and as much as I sit here and say, yes, Jacqueline, oh my God, I totally hear what you're saying. I can't change what someone thinks about me. You're absolutely right. And I, and I totally believe you. It's, it's the, pra- the putting into practice of that, that I, I think can sometimes be really hard. I think it's really important work because actually people pleasing, I think is just people being really inauthentic, right? If you're trying to do something to please someone else, you're not actually being your true self. And so, you know, you can even start there and say, well, do I want to be an authentic person? And it's also allowing the fact that other people, you know, I always say like once my clients learn how to place down boundaries and once they learn how to say no to people, it's really interesting because they find that some people are like, oh yeah, no problem. It's totally fine. And they're like, oh my God, that was really amazing. And some people are like, well, if you're saying no to me, then da, 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 da. And they start to lose people that that are never really meant to be in their life in the first place. Because, you know, if you haven't got boundaries, you're going to be attracting people that are going to be takers right so this is why i bang on and on and on and on and on like do i won't swear do the work do the work because being a people pleaser is an exhausting experience and life is much bigger than that you know it's way bigger than me spending my life trying to make other people happy right like not gonna work i want to just pick up on this phrase like do the work because i love it and i get it but i also am like but Jacqueline, what is the work? <laughs> I'm like, what everyone says that. It's not a. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. The work is really important, right? Like doing the work means, you know, instead of, I, I keep wanting to swear, I'm sorry, it's really. I mean, swear <laughs> away. Like reading it in. Doing the work ultimately means put your phone down, right? and start to look at what is going on in my head. What are the things about myself I'm not keen on? I don't want to be a people pleaser, so how do I change that? I don't want to seek validation from outside, so how do I change that? What tools do I need to learn to become a person that is totally fine with people not liking me, if that's the case? Like, how do I do these things? Like, this is the stuff we've all got stuff, right? How do I have better relationships? You know, how do I manage these certain people in my life that I can't manage? This stuff is about doing work and and finding, you know, finding sort of the key to unlock that door to change your life. Do the work. Like it would have been so easy for me to have just stayed in addiction. Okay, I'll just stay taking drugs and I'll just stay starving myself, or I'll just stay in an exercise addiction and I just won't look at all of this stuff. But it became really painful. And I don't want to live a life like that. Like I think life should be joyful we should experience joy and we should have a very quiet, peaceful mind. Like that's just my view on it. So what is it that I've got to do to get that? And whatever it is that I've got to do to get that, i.e. look at what's going on in my head, then I'm just going to face it and deal with it because I want to have a peaceful life. So that's what I mean when I say do the fucking work. Just do the work. Within don't moan that. about it. Don't be a victim. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't sit there going, oh, I'm so unhappy and da 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 da. And I just can't help myself. Because you can. You're so powerful 
So anything to do with like that kind of victim mentality of like, poor me, I can't do this. Like you can do this. You've just got to get the right help. You know, you've got to be willing to do the work and your life will change. Within that, and I think that just something that I picked up on there was in in terms of how it affects your relationships and relationships are a huge part of who we are, right? We all have, you know, whatever it is, a connected group of maybe small, maybe bigger uh, friends, family, and relationships are where stuff can show up that's really hard for us to deal with. Like, you know, I can, I can deal with my own shit, but actually when it comes to interacting with other people, that's where sometimes my stuff can be really challenged, whether it be, you know, I try and place a boundary and it gets ignored and you're like, oh, okay, fine. How do I deal with this? But I guess that what it sounds like, and I guess what, what you have got to a place of is being able to have really healthy relationships because you are able to be completely authentic in who you are. And that means that, you know, this is a process that I think a lot of people have to go through and, and I'm sort of getting in a roundabout way to, to the point that I'm trying to make. But I guess what I'm trying to say is when you sit in a place of authenticity and you are able to then be comfortable in setting boundaries and doing all the stuff that you've just said, you know, doing the work, being able to not be a people pleaser, there are going to be some people in your life who are probably going to be challenged by you behaving that way. I know that there'll be people listening who are thinking this. I know that there are people that even I know within my own life who might be challenged by boundaries being put in place or there being a level of standing up for myself where I'm like, you know what, I'm not really going to take that. And actually I don't, you know, I don't want to be that person anymore. So how do you help people to navigate the rocky road that is doing the work themselves and how people respond to them as a result of them doing that work? That was a very long way of getting to my point, but but <laughs> we got there in the end. <laughs> I like it. The fact is I can't control how you're going to respond to my boundary. Let me just simplify it, right? So mm. if you're my friend and you always turn up late and I say to you, listen, I love you to pieces and I've noticed that you always turn up late and I get that and I understand it and life is busy and da-da-da. And you know what? I also don't really want to sit and wait for 45 minutes if we've got dinner at seven and you rock up at 7.45 because that's also 45 minutes of my life. So what can we do together to find a mutual way of changing that and making that work? And also if you are constantly, you know, 45 minutes late, I love you, but that isn't going to work for me. In which case, let's sort of move this to maybe, you know, a telephone conversation friendship. Now, you're either going to be someone who's going to go, oh my God, I didn't really think about that. And okay, I better, you know, start to make a bit more of an effort of being there on time. Or you're going to be someone who's like, how fucking dare you talk to me like that? Now, the first example is someone who's willing to kind of work together to find a way for us both to be happy in that relationship. The second person is going to make it really personal. They're going to think that what you've done is wrong and they're going to, you know, and that whole thing's not going to work out we probably don't remain friends. Now, that kind of works for me because if someone's going to bounce back at a boundary like that and sort of try to turn it around and make me wrong for having that boundary for myself, then that's probably not a healthy relationship for me to have. Or I would maybe, as I say, change the relationship into a telephone conversation, you know? Like, all of this stuff comes with flexibility, right? There's no, so I don't believe in like a hard boundary. And if it's this, it's like, it's not black and white, it's often gray. But the first example, jumping back to that is like a really healthy relationship because that way we can find a way where I say, do you know what? All right, I'm willing to wait 15 minutes, but I don't want to do more than that. And you'll go, you know what? I'm going to absolutely make sure that I'm there within, within those 15 minutes instead of 45. Great, we've got a healthy relationship going on. So- 
I think boundaries are a very important thing, but they've got to be flexible and they're, they're going to be different with, with everybody. You know, some people you're going to like enough to want to do those things with and some people you just don't like enough to do those things with. And that's how it will roll. I think that's a really important thing to, to understand. I, I know what you mean about, you know, like some places on the internet can make boundaries seem very fixed and it's almost very like self-preserving. And actually like I, you know, as much as I'm trying to move away from people pleasing, I also have a heart and I have compassion for people that are maybe going through their own stuff. And I think that sometimes it's about, you know, being able to take each individual situation within the context of which it, it arrives and be able to like have empathy for that person, understand their point of view. You know, like it, it's a dynamic that's constantly fluid. And 100%. when I think about these kind of really firm boundaries that some people can suggest, I'm like, I get it, but I'm also just, I'm not of the, of the subscri- I, don't, I don't subscribe to the mindset, sorry, that, you know, that, that person's stuff isn't as important as, as mine because it is, you know, whatever that Absolutely. person's going through is equally important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that is a problem with social media where there's lots of black and white thinking, you know, it's this way or that way is this, is that, da, 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 da. like, you know, there's so, it's so much the gray area. There's so much more, you know, we're all individual complex human beings with our own ways of thinking and believing and our own upbringing and our own, you know, cultures and religions and all of this stuff. And ultimately we're all just trying our best to like, you know, do our best. And I always say to people, you know, you know, you do better when you know better, you do better. Like we're all just trying, you know, we're all just trying. None of us are perfect. We're all just, we're all just trying. Now look, social media is how you and I first met. And it's a huge part of both of our lives. It's a huge part of probably most people who are listening's lives. It's not going anywhere. So I'm very much a realist when it comes to accepting that social media is a necessary part of, you know, day-to-day life for most people. Uh, And it can be hugely enjoyable. But I guess I want to discuss with you the slightly more problematic side of social media and and what it can throw up for people. I'm thinking things like comparison culture. Um, I'm thinking things like, you know, uh, difficult dynamics of relationships. Again, going back to the validation, external validation. Um, Let's just touch on comparison culture to start with. How can one um, find themselves, I guess, trying to extricate this idea that they have to compare themselves constantly to people and actually even just try and avoid it. It's sometimes so hard, right? Just to avoid looking at what someone else has and going, oh, that's nice. I really want that. Or like, look at her. She's doing so well. I'm not doing that well. (laughs) You know, all these thoughts that can race through our head. You know, if we think about how many posts we consume in a day and how many times we look at someone else's life and think, oh God, I wish I had that. Or I wish I could do that or whatever it is. I guess some of that can be inspiring maybe, but I know that some of it can also throw up a lot of negative, negative stuff for people. So how do you help people to navigate comparison culture and what are the tips that you give them? I don't really believe in comparison unless it's anything to do with maybe a science lab like maybe if you've got like two seeds in a petri dish you know and it's got the same amount of light and the same amount of water and the same temperature and then you could compare that because that would make sense but I don't actually see the point of me comparing myself to you or you comparing yourself to me we're a different age we look different we do different things like what's the actual point number one like where it's not starting from the same level. So that's the first thing I would want to say. Second of all, comparison is the thief of joy. Like it just takes the joy right out of your life. 
Third of all, instead of looking at someone and going, oh my God, they're doing so well and therefore I'm not, it's much better to say, my God, they're doing really well and that shows me that I can do that too. So we flip around our thinking. I really never think it's a good idea to sort of pit ourselves above or below anyone else. And I think that's something that we need to get really conscious of, of like, if I'm doing that, there, where else am I doing this in my life? Of like, she's better, I'm better, she's better, I'm better, she's better, I'm better. Like, what a way, like, again, it's it's an exhausting way to live your life. So the other thing with social media, and of course, you've heard this a million times, but you're only being shown things people want you to see. So they're only, you are seeing a one millisecond of their life after, no doubt, you know, 400 pictures, and they've chosen their favorite one, and they, then they've, you know, done all of that stuff to it, and photoshopped it, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you're not even looking at anything that's real a lot of the time. So why would you compare yourself? Like, it's such a waste of time. And I don't want to waste my time. Do you think it's as well, we've grown up in this world where like women have always particularly been pitted against each other. You know, if I think about my upbringing, I think about the magazine covers that I would see and the uh, environment, even in which I grew up in, it was like women compete against each other. We're constantly competing against each other. And that has insidiously kind of like become you know coming to all of us in the sense that we see a woman doing well and look you know tall poppy syndrome we want to tear her down I see it all the time you know we build someone up we build someone up and then suddenly oh no she's too much now let's pull her down um I think that well be careful with that because that's quite a big generalization you know there are some people out there where women are really supporting each other and you know, when you're looking at the Daily Mail, right, you've got you've got what you were just talking about. Yeah, you because that's what sells papers. And you look at the comments and these things and it's mind boggling, you know, from Joanna346 at AOL.com, who's obviously miserable. But <laughs> what I do want to say is, you know, you can change that yourself. Like I'm a real big one. So like when I see a, a woman and that's got like, I don't know, lovely nail polish or a beautiful lipstick, I'll always go like, oh my God, your nails are amazing or your lip, your lipstick's stunning. Or like, I'm a real believer of complimenting women because I think that changes things. The other thing I do sometimes, and you know, I live, um, I don't live, but I'm six months over here in America and six months over in London. And it's such a massive difference. Like what I notice in America, where I live anyway, women are like really nice. They smile at each other. And the minute I get back to London, I often find women like scowling. So when, and they might not mean to be doing it, by the way. Again, like, I don't take it personally at all. But one of the games I like to play, especially when I'm walking my dog, is smiling at, at like other women. And you can literally see them like they're not quite sure what to do with that. And I think that's because they're probably also used to other women, you know, scowling back. Like, we don't need to be doing that. We can all be supporting each other and loving each other and being kind to each other. And the more that we can see that, you know, the more we can change things for each other, yeah. which is really important. Totally hear you. And I agree that, yeah, I can make sweeping generalizations sometimes, but I do feel that that was the environment in which many of us experienced yeah. growing up. I know that it's I changing agree. now. And I think mm -hmm. that actually social media has given women the power to be able to support other women in a way that traditional media hasn't allowed us to previously. I think that's a really important shift. Um, right. And it has given us some level of power back and also autonomy over what we want to see and who we want to engage with. You know, that's brilliant. But I think that, yeah, I, my, my, my point was kind of, I guess, um, if we think back 10, not even that far, even, you know, years yeah. at just the culture in which I, you, many of us grew up, um, it was very much, I guess, an idea of, of, 
you know, n- not being massively supportive to women. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely that, agree with you. And I think that actually, you know, I, I totally agree with you on the complimenting women. I think that, and even just being like, you know, a kind of smile, a smiley, nice person, like even that, like it, it doesn't take anything just to give off good vibes, to be nice, to be smiley. You know, I can't tell you how many events I've gone to and, you know, I had it not even that long ago and I had loads of people messaging me about it, but I went to a fashion event, sat down next to this girl. She would literally didn't give me the time of day. I like was like, hello, I'm Alice. Nice to meet you. And she just looked me up and down and then just looked the other way. And I kid you not, that was my experience. And, you know, I cannot tell you how long I had to really deep the fact that like clearly there was something going on for her that I had nothing to do with and I had no Mm -hmm. control over. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, that didn't mean that I was somehow a bad person. But but it takes a lot to be able to like overcome those hurdles. And I just think that, yeah, like I, I do try and show up always with like the best intentions, be nice, smile, all those things. But also sometimes you're going to be met with shittiness. And, and yeah, unfortunately, absolutely. like that's just the difficult thing that we have to we have to get through is that some people just aren't going to meet you back right there. So you know that's 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 life, unfortunately. But the more we do yeah. it, the more we can kind of, I guess, try and foster it in others. I also think that you know, as a woman, like one of the other things I really deeply believe in is like there's enough to go around. Like I don't have a scarcity attitude at all. I'm like, whatever's meant to be will come for me. Like, it's it's okay. And I think a lot of people do have a scarcity attitude of like, well, if she gets it, then I won't get it. And, and it's like, we don't need to be thinking like that. You know, the, it's, the world is much bigger. The universe is much bigger, you know? And I think, again, I sound like a broken record. Do the fucking work. <laughs> it will change. <laughs> that could be the, the name of this episode. Now, look, right. I want to bring Do it to, the fucking work. <laughs> yeah. I want to bring it to um, kind of daily practice. I know that, you know, this isn't a, a, a one-on-one life coaching session. So I know that you have to be a bit more generalized in terms of the advice that you're giving. But are there some kind of daily practices that everyone can do to optimize their mental well-being and really to get the most from themselves like are there any things that you do that you feel really help you and if someone's listening today and they're like I really want to take control I want to feel better about myself like what are those kind of building blocks that they can start to do as a kind of daily non-negotiable so many things you could do for me one of the big things is nature I really must be in nature at some point in my day Um, taking a walk, you know, with my dog or I go horse riding, you know, being outside is really important, you know, with the trees and and the the bees and the birds. And, you know, like it just is such a powerful healer nature. I think, you know, for me, that's very important. Moving my body is very important. As I've got older, it's gone from sort of that, you know, running sort of 30 miles, you know, 40 miles, like, you know, like really like hit stuff. And as I've got older, it's much more sort of low impact, but movement where I can stay strong, like moving my body is really important. And also my mental health is really key. So that involves things like, you know, gratitude lists, um, listening to things that, that, you know, like 10 minute meditations every night before I go to bed or in the morning before I start my day. And I give myself at least one hour a day to do things that make me feel, you know, mentally better. And I think we've all got an hour in our in our day that we can, you know, give back to ourselves. And the most important thing is making sure that, you know, my mindset is really, really strong. So how I think about things are re- is really important and um, being conscious and aware of that is key. There's so much we can do for ourselves in 2023. There's courses we can take, there's books we can read, there's 
coaching, you know, there's coaches out there. Like there's so much we can do that there really is sort of no excuse to sit around and be miserable. We can help ourselves. There's lots of help out there for us. I love that. Jacqueline, I could go on and on and I, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to take it away from being more less about me, me, me and more about everyone that's <laughs> listening. But I do really appreciate all that you've given me today in terms of advice and help. And you're someone who I find has this approach where you're a little bit, uh, how would I describe it? a little bit more firm maybe than some others. There's less of a kind of softly, softly approach. But actually, I think that sometimes that's really helpful just to have someone who says it like it is and isn't afraid to say the things that I think can really make a difference between someone just maybe plodding along and getting a little bit happier or actually really taking that leap and saying, no, I want a, I want a big difference. I want to feel like the best person that I possibly can be. And I feel like you're that person who can really help people to do that. And I've seen it in others and I've seen it myself. So yeah, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for your expertise. We'll share in the show notes where you can find Jacqueline, uh, her book and all the other bits that she gets up to. And yeah, I just want to say massive thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, just I really appreciate that, you know, any opportunity to be able to help, you know, even just one person is like a really good day. So Thanks for all you're doing with your podcast. I love your podcast and thanks for having me on. so much for listening I really hope you enjoyed that episode I would love it if you could take some time to rate review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out see you next time Insanity Group